as Will Lutz will tee it up. His first kickoff in a Broncos uniform. And it's oh, an onside kick. And it's fumbled into the hands of the, the Raiders. And there's a pile. And it seems like the Broncos may have it. They do. Flag down on the field. Did he touch it early? That's going to be the big question. Yeah, did it go 10 yards? A touch. Kicking team number one. Five-yard penalty. Las Vegas ball. First down. That is incredible. Coach, can you just explain the decision to start the game with that onside yeah, kick? Yeah, it was something we had seen on film. Um, it wasn't like a random. We, we just felt like we saw a leverage opportunity and, and someone we wanted to take advantage of. Um, Obviously, we didn't want to contact the ball before 10 yards, um, but it was kind of being aggressive, and yet we felt like you know, we came to win a game. Um, so it was, it was something we discussed. If we won the toss, we were going to defer. Then obviously we wanted it kicked over on our sideline. So um, you know, it was just one of those things that we felt percentage-wise, we felt pretty good about the, the odds. All right, welcome into the program. Ryan O'Leary here alongside John Heath. It's the Broncos Wire podcast powered by the USA Today Network. And what a wild way for Sean Payton to kick off his Broncos tenure, John. Literally going for a surprise onside kick. Uh, we're going to be getting into that and more about this ball game with the Raiders here coming up next. But first of all, John, how are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty good, Ryan. I'm tired. You know, one game into the season, I'm already tired. I'm like, oh boy, I hope this is not a sign of things to come. Got to get your conditioning up. Yeah, big time I do. Mental conditioning and physical conditioning. But I like, I'm think I've been thinking to myself, like since immediately after the game ended to now, like the big thing for me is to not overreact too much to one game and swing too far one way or the other, which would mostly be swinging negative right now. So like I, I got to talk myself into the season's not lost. It's not like a sure thing. They're going to go like two and 15. Like it's one game. It's a division game. You know, Sean Payton had a lot of bad starts like Oh, and two, Oh, and one, you know, two and two with the saints where they went on to make the playoffs. So just, one game to open the season. It's frustrating, especially the manner that they lost. But I got to remind myself, it's a long season. So you're saying, John, Broncos fans should not freak out that the Broncos lost to the Raiders 17-16. to And if that sounds familiar, it's because it's the same score Denver <laughs> lost to by Seattle in Seattle last year to start the year. And it's also the same kind of offensive output and score we saw over and over and over, and I'm over, it's like nauseating, and over and over again with, with Hackett's crew in 2022, right? These, the offense scoring 17, 14, these weird scores where they just couldn't, couldn't get the ball in the end zone, couldn't put points on the board. You're saying you're trying not to freak out and fall back into that over and over and over again thing that we experienced in 2022. Yeah, I'm trying to. And, and as you say, as we <laughs> as we talk about the scoreline, like I probably had the exact same take after the Seattle game last year. Like, oh, you know, it was a tough game in Seattle, tough for Russell Wilson, strange uh, emotional circumstances, maybe. And the Broncos are going to be fine. And obviously that didn't work out. But a huge difference from last year to this year is they have Sean Payton now and as we know, Sean Payton is known Nathaniel Hackett. And, you know, he. it seems that he did not make the difference in week one. But again, over the course of a 17-game season, hopefully the things that are correctable, 
he's going to be able to correct. And, you know, you know, they're right back on the horse with another winnable game against the Washington Commanders this week. So hopefully this is not just a sign of another dismal season coming up. Well, no, Sean Payton brings a little bit more flair than Nathaniel Hackett in a lot of ways. We've seen it all preseason long, John, and leave it to Sean Payton. I mean, who else would do this? A surprise onside kick to start the game. That's literally how he kicks off his tenure in Denver, as I said. And uh, for a split second, it seemed like the Broncos had the football and the crowd just went absolutely bonkers. The roof was the theoretical roof was coming off, you know, the the building, John. And it was just like, holy crap, like, okay, this feels a little different. And of course, that all came crashing down, as we heard there in the intro when the ref, uh, you know, called the penalty for illegal touching. And all of a sudden, now the Raiders have this short field and and they go down and score, don't they? Early 7 nothing re- lead for the Raiders. What do you think about the decision by Sean Payton? We heard his explanation as well there in the intro, John. What do you think about his decision to open the game with that, what, what does he call it, the ambush play, the play that he used in the Super Bowl, uh, you know, not so ironically against Peyton Manning when he was back at the Colts. When the Saints beat the Colts in that Super Bowl, they needed some juice in the second half. They opened it with that ambush play, the surprise onside kick. It worked. It almost worked in this instance as well. What would you think about that decision? Yeah, I, I wasn't mad about it, especially after the game. I, I think it was one of the players. Somebody was saying that their special teams coordinator had spotted a guy on the Raiders, one of the offensive linemen. I guess he would like turn his head and just run with his back to the ball like right away. And so the special teams coordinator was like, you know, we can exploit exploit that and take advantage of that. And Sean Payton was like, okay, we're going to do it right off the bat. We're going to open the season like this. And I think if they had recovered it, like you said, everybody's going wild. Like what a way to kick off the Sean Payton era. I think Broncos fans would have been out of their minds. And like then the Broncos themselves would have been super excited. And you could just imagine them going down the field, taking a seven-point lead, even a three-point lead, and then getting the ball after halftime, after starting with the ball and scoring first. like That would have been a great way to start the game. And they were so close to pulling it off. Like The only reason they didn't pull it off was Trayman Smith, who they literally brought in for his special team's contributions this offseason. He touched the ball when it was probably not even half a yard short of the 10 yards. It's got to go 10 yards before you can touch it. And it was probably like nine and three quarters yards and he touched it. And that was the illegal touch. And so like, if not for a guy that should be able to do that, they, it would have worked. So it was just, uh, just like inches away from being executed. And so I, I wasn't mad about it. Like the idea, the concept of it, I got it. And like, it was so close to working. It was just a little bit of an execution from a guy who, they brought in primarily because he's such a good special teams player. So it's not someone that you would have expected to do that. It's it's not like a backup offensive lineman or like a backup tight end, like making his NFL debut. Like Smith's been, he's a veteran. He's been in the NFL. So I like percentage wise, like Sean Payton said, like percentage wise, they liked it. So I, I wasn't mad about it, but I know Ryan, you weren't a big fan of it. No, I wasn't. And that was one of the reasons the, when he said, and we saw some leverage and whatever his explanation was. And he said, yeah, we thought it was a, it was a good, the odds were in our favor or something, whatever he said, right, John. And it was just, what are your odds of actually getting that to work? They're not very high, honestly, even if you th- think you saw something on film, Sean Payton, the odds of that happening, not very high. It didn't work out for you. And all of a sudden bang, you're down seven, nothing. And I do get it. I the jolt of energy again for that split second, when we thought we had the football and the crowd's going nuts, like, 
and the sideline was going bonkers. It was like, wow, we, we'd be having a different conversation, but it didn't work. And, and I just think I, I wasn't mad in the moment, John, but as, as time has gone on, as I've digested the game and thought about what we're going to talk about on the show this week, I just don't think it was the right message to do it. And to me, it, it kind of reeks of the whole Sean Payton in Denver experience so far where he has been like Mr. Entertainer. He's like been walking around, flapping his gums. He'll talk to anybody. Come on in the office. Put your feet up on the desk. Let's talk. Just he was ripping Nathaniel Hackett and the Jets and whatever. I mean, he's just uh, just spouting off. And he's been Mr. Entertainer. It's like he's he's struggling to become the head coach of the Denver Broncos. He's still like the funny guy on the Fox Sports analyst team. And and why I'm saying that is because I think Sean Payton said. Oh, we see something we could maybe exploit on special teams here on the kickoff. That'd be hilarious. Let's start the game and then do that. That'd be cute. That'd be kind of funny. I think that's what it was. He wasn't care. He wasn't concerned with the consequences if it didn't work. He thought that's a fun way to start. Let's do it. And I just think, come on, Peyton. Like you got to start doing what's best for the Denver Broncos. I'm not convinced that 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 call was for me. It's like if you really see something on film of a division opponent that you think you can exploit, like a guy that may turn his head early and run, like you said, John, which I think is good insight into the play. I'm glad you said that. This is a division opponent that you could theoretically see three times in a season. Shouldn't you save that information and use it when you really need it? Why would you do it on the opening kickoff? If you're not trying to do a little something and be like, ha, 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 uh, look what I pulled off there, my opening kickoff, guys, if it, if it worked. And believe me, we wouldn't hear the end of it if, if it worked. So that's why. I just think it's, the wrong message. Never mind the fact that it it does scream like, okay, so the last time Sean Payton used the ambush play was in that Super Bowl because they needed to steal an extra possession. They were going against the Colts and Peyton Manning, and they were they were going to struggle to beat him if they didn't steal a possession. You needed to steal a possession at home against Jimmy G and the Raiders. Like I I just don't I don't agree with that message, right? And I guess you could flip it the other way and say, well, no, he really he thought his defense would dominate and he wasn't worried about the short field, but that didn't play out because the the Broncos were immediately down seven nothing. So, yeah, why are we trying to steal an extra extra possession against the Raiders at home in the season kickoff? Why can't we just kick off the ball and play football, John? Why does it have to be this like, oh, <laughs> look what I came up with, guys, in the film session, you know? So that's what rubbed me the wrong way. It's like Sean Payton, please, like. Actually, I take that back, John, because I'm enjoying all the stuff he's giving us to talk about. Like, <laughs> I'm enjoying him having a hard time unplugging as the Fox analyst and the funny guy. But my gosh, like when you actually get into the football games now, it does get a little frustrating when he's like, yeah, let's try it. Why not? Let's just open the game. With that. What, what's the worst thing that happened? That'd be fun. Let's do it. You know what I mean? I don't think he was trying to be a funny guy. I, I truly think that he thought percentage wise, the odds were. The, like maybe if it wants it even above 50%, if a normal onside kick is like 1%, if you catch him off guard and that guy that you're specifically targeting is like terrible with his awareness, if your percentage goes up to like 45% and typically it'd be 1%, then that's the, you know, the, the odds are in your favor, even though maybe it's less than 50%. It's just compared to normal. That's a huge increase. And I would push back a little bit with saying, you know, it's like a division opponent and like you play them twice a season. If you meet a bit, get in the playoffs, so you train like if you play them three times or whatever, save it for a time when it's more important. I think what if the Raiders, as the season goes on, noticed that and corrected that and told the guy like, hey, you got to not do that. Or what if the guy gets hurt or, you know, what if he gets cut or like there's no guarantee that down the road this exact scenario is going to come up again. But in week one, 
I guess from watching preseason, they knew it was the case. And so they may have not had another opportunity like this where they thought, you know, we can catch them offside with an onside and we think the odds are in our favor get. So like I said, I'm not I'm not mad about it. I I kind of understand where you're coming from, but I really don't think he was trying to be funny. I think I do think he was maybe being uh confident and like arrogant like we're gonna start the season out you know we're gonna start my first play with broncos we're gonna do an onside kick yeah that's gonna be awesome <laughs> exactly like, because because he thought they could pull it off not because it would be like oh that would be hilarious and in my opinion we can have different takes on it ryan oh of course we can uh, but but that's kind of what i'm saying he just thought that, that's what i mean when i say this would be hilarious let's just open the game with an onside kick <laughs> if it doesn't happen uh, whatever i'm sean payton I'm going to coach us to a victory anyway. Yeah, you're right. It is like an arrogance thing. But again, Sean Payton, please don't change. The content is too freaking good. Keep being you. Keep doing these things. I love it. And John, I think that's a fair point where, you know, maybe this it it was targeted at one specific player, right? It's not a scheme thing that the Raiders do on their kickoff that every player does. It was one player and they they thought, hey, if we get the ball on this sideline and we're closest to this player or whatever, we're going to do it. And it happened on the opening kickoff. So they did it right. That's just to clarify. That's, that's what happened. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, like I said, you know, percentage wise, they thought the percentage was on their side. So I, I like it. Hindsight is 2020 and it backfired. So maybe they shouldn't have done it, but I don't mind them trying. Okay. So another thing that is high on Broncos country's mind right now is the offense and an offense that, put up a very similar uh, product and in, in points <laughs> that we're used to. John, 16 points. <laughs> it's like very similar to what we saw all season. As we said earlier, you actually saw some positives, silver linings, whatever you want to call it, from the offense in this game, right? So that's a little bit of a surprise because I thought you'd be ready to rip them. Uh, so please explain yourself. What positives or silver linings did you see from the offense in this ballgame? Yeah, first of all, like when the game ended, my first thought too was like 16 points, like a Sean Payton offense. We really only managed 16 points with Sean off Sean Payton. Like we said, the exact same score line that they had last year in week one. But, and, and then I kind of realized, and just looking at the stats, they only had six drives and the Raiders only had six drives and the Broncos scored on three of them. If not for a missed field goal, which we'll get into, they would have scored on four of their six drives, which is not bad at all. It's just, they had long time consuming drives and the Raiders kind of had some long time consuming drives as well. So that kind of shortened the game. It gave them fewer opportunities. So only, you know, scoring on three of six drives should have scored on four of six drives. That's not the end of the world at all. I think and like a typical game, they're going to have like 10 to 12 possessions. So in like a typical game where you have 10 or 12, 16 is not acceptable, but in a weird game like this with really long time consuming drives, I think we, we shouldn't get as caught up with how many points they scored as we typically would. I don't think it's as alarming as the scoreline looks just because it was kind of a weird game flow like that. So that's one thing to keep in mind with the score. And then kind of like some silver linings and positives, like you said, I thought Russell Wilson looked good. I thought he looked comfortable in Sean Payton's offense. And I thought, especially early in the game in the first half, they had a lot of play action. They had a couple rollouts for him. And he was just so good and composed on the run. And and that's what I've kind of been saying this offseason. They've got to get Russell Wilson moving. To me, it seemed like last year Nathaniel Hackett just didn't do that as much as they should have. And even it even kind of seemed like he wanted him to stay in the pocket, which I just didn't get. 
And Peyton moved him around more, and Wilson was really good with that. You know, he had two touchdowns, a high completion percentage. And they kind in the second half, I don't know why it seemed like they got away from the play action a little bit. Maybe they just thought, you know, running wasn't realistic when they had to throw in certain scenarios. Like they they weren't going to fool the Raiders with play action if the Raiders didn't think it was actually a run. So I don't know if that's why they got away from it a little bit. And it, it honestly was a lot of kind of a dink and dunk offense. And for the most part, I think it worked and I think it was good, but I think maybe going forward, they needed to take a couple more shots. They did take some, but I think, you know, dink and dunk is, it was like the bread and butter with Drew Brees and New Orleans too. And that's good. But Brees also took shots and had receivers that could go run under the ball. And Wilson's got a beautiful deep ball. The Broncos have some receivers that can get under the ball. So I think, Overall, I thought the offensive approach was good. There's a couple things that can be cleaned up. I think they should incorporate play action a little bit more throughout the game. I think they should take a couple more shots downfield. But overall, I thought Wilson was good. I thought he was comfortable. And I think Peyton, well, I mean, any probably pretty much anyone would be better with Wilson than Nathaniel Hackett. But I really thought that Peyton was uh his offense was a big improvement for Wilson and Javante Williams was back out on the field. And I thought to me, you know, you couldn't tell at all that he was coming back from injury. To me, he looked healthy and fresh and comfortable. He didn't look uncomfortable at all. He rushed 13 times for 52 yards. Uh, I think he was targeted six times as a receiver out of the backfield. So Wilson loves uh, having him as a receiving option. And when you look back at the way the Saints used Alvin Kamara for all those years, he was heavily involved as a receiver out of the backfield. And I think Javante Williams is going to slot right into that role. So to me, Wilson looked comfortable. Javante Williams looked healthy. Samaj P runs a very good complimentary back. And like the points, they just didn't have a whole lot of drives, a whole lot of opportunities. So to me, the offense was a net positive in week one. Yeah, I hear that. And we got to remember Jerry Judy wasn't out there as well, right? And uh, But yeah, the, it's a great point that the running backs are heavily involved in the passing game in, in the Sean Payton offense, and we should continue to see that. And and I agree. Russell Wilson threw some great balls in this game. What's the one I'm thinking about, John, where he kind of rolled to his right and threw it on the run? It was a touchdown in the corner of the end zone. Which which was that the... Uh, is that the Humphrey one or is that the Sutton one? I think I think that was the Jordan Humphrey uh, one. I think he was kind of extending the play on that. That was a sweet throw. <laughs> that was sweet. That that looked like vintage Russell Wilson, especially on that angle from behind him um, when yeah. he threw that pass. So I agree. We saw some positive stuff. Uh, it's only going to get better with Sean Payton. This is game one. Uh, I don't have the same feeling I did uh, from the game in Seattle where I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> you kind of saw some things in that Seattle game where you're a little worried. Um, hopefully we can move things in the in the right direction here. Uh, how about some injuries to note? Jerry Judy missed this game with a hamstring. We just mentioned him that, you know, little Jordan Humphrey helped the team. He was elevated from the practice squad. John, we lost safety. Caden Stearns in this one. Sounds like he might be done for the year. And also uh, tight end Greg Dulcich left with a Dulcich. I'm, so, I'm sorry, left with a hamstring injury and man, hamstring injuries just continue to plague NFL players all across the board. We were talking before we hit record. So many hamstring injuries across the board, and it continues with Dulcich. So how'd the team come out of this game injury-wise? Yeah, just like you mentioned, it sounds – we're recording this on uh, Tuesday, so no official word yet, but I think Caden Stearns is going to be placed on IR and be done for the year. And um, Dulcich, he has a hamstring injury, and ESPN's Adam Schefter said he's going to be sidelined for multiple weeks. And I, it's just going to come down to how – 
it's just going to come down to how much, uh, like how soon the Broncos think he can come back. If they think he can come back after three games, they'll just keep him on the active roster. But if they think he could miss four games, it would make sense to just put him on short-term injured reserve. And then after four weeks, he can come back. And honestly, like a lot of times with hamstring injuries, a lot of times four weeks, you know, is kind of like the baseline. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if Dulcich goes on IR and then that gives them a little bit of roster flexibility. Even little Jordan Humphrey, like you just mentioned, he was elevated from the practice squad. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up on the 53-man roster this week with because uh, at least Caden Stearns will be going on IR. We'll see what happens with Dulcich. But those are the two big guys, and we'll see with uh, practice this week and the final injury report on Friday what's going on with Jerry Judy. It's been uh, – I think Sunday would be like four weeks for Judy since he hurt his hamstring. So he might be on track to return this week. And whether it's on the active roster or another elevation, I think Humphrey definitely will be on the game day roster this weekend. And uh, he he got the second most snaps on Sunday behind Cortland Sutton. So it's kind of funny, even though he's on the practice squad, he's basically the team's third string receiver behind Sutton and Judy and then obviously he jumps up when Judy is sidelined so and that makes sense because he's a Sean Payton guy he played with in New Orleans so uh, someone like Humphrey who's played with uh, Payton before it makes sense that he would get more stamp snaps than Brandon Johnson who uh, is a younger player and hasn't been with uh, Payton as long but Johnson too he had a decent amount of snaps and I thought he played well on Sunday so honestly including what they have on the practice squad I think they're fine at receiver at tight end with Dulcich, um, I think Adam Troutman, he was already the starting tight end because of his blocking. I think he might see a little bit of an uptick in targets now, but I think for the most part, his role is going to be unchanged. And I think they're just not going to have that dynamic receiving tight end that Dulcich is for a couple of weeks. And a lot of people have been pointing out like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have Albert O right now when our receiving tight end is out? But mm. I, I, I'm i not that mad about it because uh, – Peyton is so into his blocking tight ends and Dulcich, his receiving ability is just like a bonus. It's like, oh, that's a nice thing. We're going to add that. He doesn't uh, tailor his offense to have to have it. So I think there, like a lot of, there was a time when the Saints had Jimmy Graham, but there were also years in New Orleans when they their tight ends were there just primarily to block. And like their big uh, receiving guys was, Michael Thomas, obviously their star receiver, but then also Alvin Kamara, like Jude, or excuse me, Sean Payton loves to get the backs involved in the receiving game. And like we talked about, Payton talked about uh, McLaughlin, the undrafted rookie, and Greg Dulcich playing the same position this offseason. So there there are ways that the Broncos can get players involved in the passing game while Dulcich is sideline. Obviously, it's better to have him than not, but I think they'll be okay on offense while he's out. Yeah, and I think Adam Troutman can give you what you need in the passing game, right? He's he can catch three, four, or five balls if you need him to. Um, yeah, he's he, a he's a competent player. He's fine. He's fine. Don't like him because he's burned me in fantasy in past years when he was with the Saints, John. <laughs> uh, but you know, maybe he's a sneaky waiver wire pickup this week with Dulcich out. Um, Adam Troutman is uh, so. So there's that. The injury report. Some notes on the offense. Let's talk about the defense a little bit as well, John. Uh, you would think they only gave up 17 points. Uh, that this would be, you know, we'd probably be harping on the offense, not getting the job done. But you actually saw some disappointing moments from the defense. I think, you know, number one would be that the uh, Broncos punted the football with five minutes left in the game and they didn't get it back. The Broncos ran the clock out, which kind of sucked, right? That's not the kind of end game. That's 
in terms of that situation, how the Broncos wanted to play that, that's not exactly how you draw it up. So, uh, but what else, what else disappointed you from the defense? This yeah, uh, right off the bat, like you mentioned earlier, Sean Payton put confidence in the defense saying, we're going to go for on this onside kick. And, you know, we think we can get it, but even if we can't, we have confidence in our defense. And then the Raiders go down, take a seven, seven, nothing lead. And then, like you said, the biggest thing was all that time left on the clock. The Broncos defense could not get a stop. They couldn't get off the field and give the ball back to Russell Wilson to give him a chance to go down and win the game. Uh, so, but that that final drive, the the biggest moment of it, I think it was a third and seven. Uh, Jacoby Myers caught a pass and he was just short, like a yard, yard and a half short of the first down marker. And Kareem Jackson came and hit him. It was deemed helmet to helmet. You know, it was unnecessary roughness, and that gave the Raiders a first down. That was kind of what really did the Broncos in. And I do feel a little bad for Kareem Jackson because it there's not a whole lot he could do there. Myers was running. He, he went to lower himself. And then as he did, he slipped and Jackson had already went in to hit him. And, and like if Myers was standing straight up, Jackson's hit would have been fine. But when Myers slipped, that put him really, really low. And Jackson ended up hitting him, you know, kind of helmet to helmet area. And so I don't like, it was such a bang, bang, fast play. Like Jackson, I don't think definitely wasn't being malicious. I, I don't think he was trying at all to do a helmet to helmet hit because he knows that's a foul. But I also don't think he was even necessarily trying to hit him high. I think the receiver went low as he was going low and like simultaneously. So it was kind of a tough situation. But, you know, even with Jackson being in a tough spot, like he's got to know, like it's third and seven, we're about to get off the field, just a clean tackle here and we're off the field. So, I mean, can, can he do much better in that situation? I don't know, but that was unfortunate. So the defense getting off the field, you know, allowing the Raiders to go down and score. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be too hard on that because the Raiders had a short field. But another thing that was just but a lot of fans have been frustrated about, like on Twitter, well, I guess it's called X now, but on social media, the Broncos had no pass rush at all. They had two pressures and zero quarterback hits obviously no sacks. And then after the game, the defense, a couple of defensive linemen, a couple outside linebackers were asked about that. And they're just kind of making excuses. And even Sean Payton mentioned it. I say it's an excuse because I, I do think it is about how Jimmy G gets the ball out really fast and how they were worried about stopping the run. And Sean Payton even mentioned like you defend different quarterbacks, different ways. And like Jimmy G with getting the ball out fast, maybe you're more batting down passes. And if, if they're running the ball, then obviously you don't get as much pass rush opportunities. But and so I understand the circumstances, like the game flow again, like it didn't lend itself to get a ton of pass rush situations, but there were still times like even that third and seven play, like Kareem Jackson never would have done that hat or, or that hit. If Jimmy Garoppolo was, you know, under pressure and, and sacked or hit as he threw or whatever. So Randy Gregory for him, it just wasn't good enough. Jonathan Cooper, it wasn't good enough. Frank Clark, it wasn't good enough. Nick Benito didn't get a lot of snaps, but he also didn't take advantage of them. So the pass rush was just non-existent. And after week four, Baron Browning will be able to come off the reserve PUP list. So hopefully he will make a difference, but like he's only one guy, you need two pass rushers, one on either side that can get to the quarterback. And in week one, they didn't have any, the, uh, a positive is that, you know, as I said, as an excuse, Jimmy G, he does get the ball out fast, 
Next week, they're playing Sam Howell, uh, the Washington's second-year quarterback, and he was sacked six times last week. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully if there's a team that you know is going to hold on to the ball and give you an opportunity to get some sacks and you know get some pass rush or some confidence, hopefully the Broncos will do better next week against the Commanders. Yeah, and I think it's fair to point out that Vance Joseph was not – it didn't seem like the Broncos' number one choice when, when they hired him, John, right? I mean, they were – they no, he definitely wants. Yeah, it wasn't their number one choice. Vance Joseph ends up being the defensive coordinator, and in the first game, the Broncos are letting Jimmy G, who is a fine quarterback, but if you get pressure on Jimmy G, he kind of sucks. We've seen it. If you get pressure on Jimmy G, the ball's not coming out. The ball's coming out quick, and it's going to be interceptions or incompletions. Uh, but Jimmy G is good with Josh McDaniels if you don't get pressure on him. So um, I think it's fair for Broncos fans to be a little. Uh, nitpicky with Vance Joseph that it's something to see and yeah I mean hopefully Sam Howell isn't picking this defense apart and, and having you know having all all day to pass back there John that's something to watch and I think Vance Joseph it's it's fair to pay attention to that one as we go forward uh, another one I think fans are a little pissed about are is watching Brandon McManus go off with the Jaguars while Will Lutz is missing PATs John yeah, that was really annoying to see. The Jaguars, I, I think they played at the earlier window, and McManus was 5 of 5 on his kicks. I think he had he only had one field goal, but he was 4 of 4 on extra points. And then the Broncos game, after their first touchdown, Will Lutz misses his extra point. It's like, oh boy, here we go. And then after he misses an extra point, Sean Payton's like, okay, I'm going to give you a 55-yard field goal. And I was like, man, that's a little long. And even in Denver, like Lutz in his career – He's never been like super, super accurate from super long. And he had just missed an extra point. I was like, I don't know about that. And he missed the 55 yarder. And like, at least the good news is that later in the game, he missed, or excuse me, he made his second extra point and then he made a short 24 yard field goal. So at least he ended the game well. So maybe that will help his confidence going into next week. Hopefully it was just you know, a fluky thing and hopefully it's behind him because he was perfect in preseason with the Saints. He made all his field goals. He made all his extra points. So it seemed like, you know, last year, last year was a down year for him, but it seemed like he kind of turned a corner and had gotten over from his injury and was good to go, but obviously not a good start in his debut with them. So that's definitely going to be something that Broncos fans are going to be tracking all season of how is Brandon McManus doing with the Jaguars? <laughs> especially yep. if Lutz continues to struggle. Hopefully he gets it turned around. Well, I was all excited, John, to pick up Will Lutz uh, at the end of my fantasy <laughs> draft. Oh, he's in Denver. He's going to be in the mile high. He's going to kick all these long field goals. Yeah, let's see how long he lasts on my lineup. He might be. He might not last past week one on my team, but how about <laughs> yours out there? Corey Bonini of TheHuddle.com. He has fantasy football advice as he does every single week for us. Here it is. And John and I will be right back to talk about the aforementioned Washington Commanders. We'll be right back. I'm Corey Bonini of TheHuddle.com, here to bring you fantasy football strong plays for week number two. Quarterback Anthony Richardson, Indianapolis Colts at Houston Texans. While the Texans held Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson to practically nothing both aerially and on the ground last week, Baltimore found success rushing the ball, which is something we're not convinced you'll see from Indy this week. Richardson should be the team's leading rusher, and he has a strong chance of scoring at least one touchdown with his legs. Passing-wise, however, it's fair to be leery of the rookie's maturation in only his second game, but all he needs is something around 230 passing yards and a touchdown strike to augment his rushing success for a quarterback one finish. 
Running back Jamal Williams, New Orleans Saints at Carolina Panthers. In week one, no defense gave up more fantasy football success to running backs than Carolina, a unit that was only mediocre at slowing the position last year. On Sunday, the Saints had a tough rushing matchup versus Tennessee, and Williams' numbers suffered as a result. He is poised to produce at least 100 combined yards and one touchdown against a defense that permitted 177 total yards and a trio scores to Atlanta running backs last weekend. Wide receiver Elijah Moore, Cleveland Browns at Pittsburgh Steelers. Moore tied Amari Cooper with seven targets last week, suggesting the former New York Jet has a real chance of blossoming in this offense. Pittsburgh gave up two scores to Brandon Ayuk last week, and this was the fifth weakest unit at slowing the position in PPR scoring. At a minimum, Moore should be treated as a quality flex play, especially in PPR. Tight end Cole Komet, Chicago Bears at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Komet was good for a modest line of 9.4 PPR points on his five catches for 44 yards in week one versus Green Bay. Tampa has struggled at times in the last few years of containing the position, including in week one when this unit surrendered a league-high 11 catches, although for just 67 yards. Volume rarely is part of Komet's game, so consider him a little bit volatile, but he still has tight end one upside if you're in a situation to gamble. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, we're back. The Broncos are set to host the Washington Commanders in week two, and uh, despite coming off a loss, John, Denver, three and a half point favorites here, uh, back at at the mile high, uh, maybe Sean Payton will have some more uh, tricks up his sleeves with the opening kickoff. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, what do you think? Is that a reasonable point spread? The Broncos being three and a half point favorites over the commanders, although they lost and uh, still have not proven they can score more than 20 points a game. Yeah. And, and on top of that, the commanders did win. So the commanders are one and oh, the Broncos are own one. And yet the Broncos are favorites. I, I don't think it's unreasonable though, because the commanders, you know, they kind of barely hung on to beat the Cardinals. And a lot of people think the Cardinals are a team that's going to have the first overall pick next April. So I, it doesn't seem like Washington is some great team. And Sam Howell, we kind of talked about it. He he held the ball a little too long, was sacked a lot in week one. He's not, he's not, he, it doesn't seem that he is some great quarterback. And this is, this is just going to be his third career start. So he's very young, very inexperienced, you would hope that Denver's really good secondary, you know, it, you would think he's going to struggle against them. And Washington has to, a pair of good running backs, but Denver's defense, one thing they did do really well on Sunday, they did limit the Raiders run game. And the and Josh Jacobs led the NFL in rushing last year. I think he averaged like two and a half yards a carry against Denver. He did not have, a, it was probably the Broncos best ever game against Josh Jacobs. So if the Broncos take away the commander's run game, you don't think Sam Howe is going to beat their secondary. You just, I, I just don't see that happening. So even though it was a disappointing loss to the Broncos in week one, I think it's reasonable to have them favorites at home against Washington. I don't think Washington's a big, huge threat. Now, Sam Howell uh, blows, John. I think that's what you were trying to say. Uh, he made an interception. I think it was a pick six that the Cardinals scored on, and they flashed to Ron Rivera, and it looked like Ron Rivera was dreaming of having Carson Wentz back. He was like, oh, Carson, I miss you. I miss you so much. Oh, my God, Sam Howell. Yeah, he's not good. He's not ready. Uh, so I, I would imagine this is a game that the Broncos' defense dominates. I mean, that's what I'm most interested in. I'm not really too worried about the offense. I think in time, the offense will come together and get better week by week with Sean Payton kind of at the helm, reworking that thing, working with Russell Wilson. I liked your commentary from earlier in the show, John. I agree with you. The defense, though, I'm like, we shouldn't be taking a step back on defense. We have a, we have dominant players on defense. This has been a unit that has 
survived different defensive coordinator changes here over the last few years. Now we have Vance Joseph. If the defense doesn't look great against the commanders, they don't dominate this game. I'm going to be worried because the commanders, they're going to pound the football with Brian Robinson, who averages like two yards a carry, John. I mean, they can't run the ball. They have this Sam Howell, the quarterback, doesn't know what he's doing. They don't really have an identity. Uh, this should be a game the Broncos can dominate on defense. If they're not, ooh, I'm going to be worried. Uh, and I think another thing is uh, Chase Young, right? Was who's like you know might be one of the best football players on the field if he's healthy. Doesn't sound like he's got to play. What what's the latest injury report on that, John? Yeah, he has a neck injury that I think he's been had for a while now. It held him out in week one, and the Athletic reported last week that the earliest he would be expected to come back would be week three. So obviously that would be after the Broncos game. So it doesn't seem like Young is going to be able to play, and that's. You know, good news for the Broncos offensive line, and we didn't really talk about it, but the offensive line I thought was pretty decent against the Raiders. They allowed two sacks, but overall, um, I thought the operation was pretty good on the line. So not having to face someone like him, that's a big deal. And and again, like the Broncos, I think they want to be a run-first team, and they got two good backs. Even if Jerry Judy's not uh, healthy again this week, if he's held out, Cortland Sutton, is a fine wide receiver one. Lil Jordan Humphrey stepped up and made plays in week two. And and honestly, like Javante Williams was like one of their top receivers, even as a running back. So I think uh, this Washington defense, I think the Broncos should be able to move the ball and score points on. And like you said, you would expect Denver's defense to dominate this game. And, and so three and a half points, you know, I I'm tempted to say, you know, what if the Broncos win by like a field goal? But as you're saying, I just can't imagine Denver's defense giving up a ton of points to them. So I would expect them to beat them by three and a half, more than three and a half points because Denver's offense, I think will be a little bit better this week. Presumably they're going to get more drives, more drives, more opportunities for more points. And as you said, I, you would think like looking at this game on paper, you would think that Denver's defense should be able to kind of give the commanders a really hard time. So I can't imagine the watch. I, I, I feel like I'm saying this so confidently, and now like it's going to come back to haunt me. But I really think Washington's going to struggle to score points. I think the Broncos will uh, show improvement on offense this week. So yeah, I, I would back the Broncos to win, and I do think they would will win by more than three and a half. Yeah, last week when we talked about the spread against the Raiders, I was not ready to pick the Broncos. I said I had to see it first, John, uh, and. I don't know what happened in week one that would make me want to pick Denver, but I'm feeling pretty confident that they're going to beat the Washington Commanders. I think at home, three and a half feels like it should be a layup. This should be a layup kind of spread for the Broncos to cover. I know Sean Payton probably doesn't give a crap about the spread, but whatever. <laughs> this is one that they should win by four or more. Uh, yeah, I think I like the way you put it. I think the one, if you put the two offenses together and the two defenses together and put it all on paper and say, what's the dominant unit here? It's the Broncos defense. So that's what I'm expecting. If the Broncos defense doesn't dominate this game, I think we're going to have to have a conversation about where they're headed on that on that side of the football. But uh, who scares you on Washington? The thing is, is while we're kind of crapping on Washington a little bit, it's not like they suck. It's not like they're like the worst team in football. They're a team that's probably going to be hanging around the in the playoff hunt for a little while. Like I don't think they're that bad, John. I think they could be hovering around 500. They're one of these kind of teams. And they do have some players at wide receiver, Terry McLaurin, uh, this Jahan Dotson, this young kid. I mean, he can burn you deep. Uh, Curtis Samuel's a good little player. They can hand him the football. They can do some different stuff around the line of scrimmage, line him up in different spots. 
Uh, and you know, Logan Thomas, I kind of like him at tight end too. He's oft injured, but when he's out there, he's, he's pretty good. He can he usually catches what's thrown to him. So they have some weapons. I'm not afraid of their running game at all. I'm not really afraid of Sam Howell, but they got some players like Terry McLaurin's a great player. Yeah, so yeah. who worries you? Uh, is it the wide receiver group? Yeah, it is because last week, Pat Sertan did a fantastic job with Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams only had two catches, I think two for 11 yards against Pat Sertan. And that was great. And like overall, sometimes the Raiders have moved him around trying to get him away from Sertan. Overall, I think Adams only ended up with 66 receiving yards, something like that. So Sertan, obviously, we don't have to worry about Sertan. He's a fantastic receiver. Whoever he's on, you feel confident about. The problem is, on the other side, Damari Mathis was a catastrophe. Jacoby Myers just uh, dominated Torched. Mathis. Yep. My- Myers scored both the Raiders' touchdowns. Uh, he had close to 100 receiving yards. He just he dominated Mathis. And so that's alarming because, like you said, the Commanders, they're not some great team, but they do have three very talented receivers. And say – Sertan, if he takes away McLaurin, you still have Curtis Samuel. And after last week, I am worried about Mathis either on Samuel or Jahan Dotson. Like Dotson, I think this is his second year. He's a very young, promising receiver. So after last week, Mathis is a big concern. And uh, Riley Moss, their rookie third-round pick, he he did not play in week one. He was inactive. He's still kind of working his way back from he had core muscle surgery this offseason. And he, he has been practicing, but I think they just don't want to rush him back too quickly. So I'm going to be very curious to see, is uh, Moss healthy enough from that core muscle surgery? Is he healthy enough to play this week? Is he going to be inactive again? And if he does play, like how soon, like if Mathis keeps struggle, struggling, is Moss going to end up being a starter sooner rather than later? Because last week, Mathis was just not good enough. And, and you know, maybe... I'm kind of underrating Jacoby Myers, but I feel like Mathis should not have, you know, struggled to the extent that he did. So with the commanders having three receivers, like you said, that is a very big uh, matchup to keep an eye on Sam Howell. Like I don't have big expectations to him, but all he's got to do is throw it up to one of those three guys. If, if you have a mismatch with the, with the defensive back, you know, the receiver can do all the work for you. So that Mathis is definitely one to keep an eye on this week. Yeah, for sure. And another reason the commanders don't completely suck um, is their defensive line uh, and their pressure that they can get on you. Chase Young's a big one. We'll be watching the injury report on him. Doesn't sound like he's going to go, but uh, he's a big one. If he's in the game, that's a he's a, a game wrecker. But I mean, Montez Sweat, Darren Payne, like they have big disruptive defensive linemen. Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen's another one. Yep, Jonathan Allen. Just, they're stacked on a defensive line, John. Right, and and a great defensive line that gets pressure, especially if you're only rushing four, uh, can wreck a game. <laughs> they can wreck a game on you or at least keep it close and make it a problem. But I still would expect the, the Broncos at home to win this ball game by a touchdown. Let's let's hope that's the case, John. If not, we're heading in a, a trajectory like 2022, and yeah. that's not the life we're trying yeah. to live. If you open the season 0-2 against two very beatable teams, at home, you know, and like I said before, Sean Payton, he had some bad starts with the Saints and they still made the playoffs. But it, even with that being the case, if the Broncos start 0-2 back-to-back home games against teams that they should beat, it it's going to be alarming. But yeah, hopefully it doesn't come to that, Ryan. Hopefully next week we're talking and everything's been sorted out and we're happy again and we're feeling optimistic about the 20, 
2023 season. So yep. we'll see how it goes. And the Broncos put up 30 points against a, a decent commander's defense. So we're feeling better about that and all that. Yeah. And I would like to say on the prediction side of it, sounds like we're both aligned. We're both taking Broncos at uh, minus three and a half, which is fine. I'm going to put an asterisk on my pick, John. And that is as long as Sean Payton does not try any surprise onside kicks. Uh, so as long as he kicks off every football, I just kick it out of the end zone and let's play football, play defense. As long as he does that, John, play the field position game, play football, then I, I like our chances to, to cover I that I think spread. the commanders are going to be on high alert now. So I think that percentage that Peyton talked about last week, I don't think the percentage is going to be on the Broncos side this week. So I don't think you have to worry about that happening again. No, no asterisk for me. I'm, I'm back in the Broncos. <laughs> Hopefully they reward me. I forbid any special teams coach to tell Sean Payton he saw something on film. I just don't don't tell him because he's going to get super excited and be like, oh, 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 let's do it. Let's do it. So, oh, man, again, Sean Payton never change. Uh, so there it is for John Heath. I'm Ryan O'Leary. We appreciate you always, Broncos country, for joining us. Please subscribe, tell a friend, all that. We'll be here every week of the season, including next week. And we'll talk to you then. 